Hi listeners, one quick note before we dive into this episode. In today's episode of Valley 101, our voiceover said, a quick heads up to those who may be interested in exploring the LDS history of Arizona. Non-members can go into any of the LDS temples in the valley during Christmas to look at the lights or Easter to be a part of the festivities, but only members are allowed inside. However, the only temple in Arizona to have a Christmas lights display and an Easter pageant is at the Mesa Temple. Those events have been suspended during its renovation, but will recommence once the renovations are completed. The valley is full of transplants. Many of us moved here, or our parents moved here, some even our grandparents. It's hard to find someone like Candace Koppel, who is a sixth generation Arizonan. I think one thing that stands out is the story of, you know, the most dangerous part of their five month journey down to the valley was actually crossing the Colorado River getting here. At the time, that was a very difficult thing. Candace's family were some of the original members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints to come from Utah to Arizona. Uh, my uncle actually had a picture commissioned kind of detailing that event. And, you know, in it, you see all the covered wagons coming and they got to the Colorado River. And they had to figure out a way to cross it. And they didn't have enough money and didn't want to pay for a ferry to haul all the animals across. In 1878, Candace's relatives were looking to start a new hub for the LDS church. Her great-great-great-grandfather was Charles Innes Robson I. He's considered a founding father of Mesa in the East Valley. Charles came to Arizona with his father-in-law, Francis Pomeroy, and two other families under Brigham Young's direction. They actually got. My great-grandpa called him an old-timer, put him in a canoe, and he tied a, a rope around a horse named George. We do know George's name. And tied this rope around George's neck and just kind of let him out into the river. And these 200 head of cattle or however many cattle there were that had been following George, you know, down from Utah, just kept following him right across the Colorado River. And they, they swam across. And so that's just kind of a fun story that, you know, they all made it and everybody made it across the Colorado River. Welcome to Valley 101, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com, where we answer the questions you ask about Metro Phoenix. I'm your host, Kayla White. Arizona has the fourth highest population of LDS members in the United States. We're just behind Utah, California, and Idaho. And Arizona's history with the LDS Church stretches back before Candace's family. In today's episode, producer Amanda Luberto finds out more about the Valley's connection to the church. She'll explore its history and why Arizona continues to have such a large LDS population today. Why was Arizona chosen for an early LDS community? To know more about why Arizona was chosen, I spoke with Dr. Suye Vega, She's an anthropologist and American studies scholar who studied the experiences of Latino LDS members throughout time. I personally never grew up Mormon. I grew up Catholic. And I was shocked that I didn't know about the LDS uh, Latino population. Dr. Vega says the diversity in the LDS community stretches back to what she calls the desert diaspora. It starts for me uh, in 1847 when... The Mormons crossed a border, quite frankly, right? They were border crossers 
fleeing expulsion um, and persecution in the Midwest, right? Predominantly Illinois and Missouri. And so the Mormons crossed into what was then Mexico. Um, it was called, it was technically Alta California or, you know, the California uh, region. At the time, polygamy was common practice in the church. So members fled to different parts of the blossoming West in an attempt to maintain that practice. They did not ask to cross the border. They just kind of came upon um, Salt Lake City and they decided this was going to be their settlement. There was also a war happening at this time in 1847, the Mexican-American War. And even though they were technically now residing in Mexico, the new LDS members sided with the American government in this war. As a result, they were crossing into Arizona often to fight against Mexico and became pretty familiar with the terrain. When the war was over, the United States now had ownership over the land that is currently Utah, and the church found themselves needing to flee further south again to avoid anti-polygamy sentiments. This is where Arizona comes in. Daniel Webster Jones, that's the name um, of the, the leader who, who was a soldier in the Mexican-American War, and you know, positioned himself as somebody who would come settle Arizona, right? He was given a choice of families to bring with him to settle Arizona, right? And when asked by Brigham Young himself, who would you like to bring with you? Jones responded, quote, give me men with large families and small means so that when we get there, they will be too poor to come back and we will have to stay. Jones was familiar with Arizona Territory. Jones was familiar with the difficulties of Arizona Territory. You know, it, it's, you, you've got to be hardy to survive um, certain parts of Arizona. And so he was afraid that colonists wouldn't stay. Thus, from the outset, Arizona LDS settlements were built by those searching for promise and financial opportunities because they didn't have any. That was a prerequisite of their coming to the Arizona area. So Jones comes to Arizona with Candace's ancestors, the Robsons, the Pomeroys, and a few other families. Initially, he tried to establish a colony in Tempe because of the Hayden Flower Mill, which is on Mill Avenue. Then someone suggested moving further east to be closer to water because Mesa had a little river that ran through it. But it bordered indigenous territories. So Jones started building relationships with the Pima and Tohono O'odham tribes in the area. And he also spoke some Spanish because of his time in the Mexican-American War. That helped him establish good relationships with the people who were already living here since it was Mexico at the time. So keenly aware of, of the difficulties of thriving in Arizona in the arid and hot desert landscape, Jones took it upon himself to develop an agreement uh, of shared resources um, with pre-existing communities, the Indian and the Mexican populations, um, and even baptized a few na native members into the LDS church, right? This was happening. This type of expansion fit with Brigham Young's mission. He was hoping to grow church frontiers throughout the territories in case they were driven away from Utah, and he wanted to grow the overall population of the church. Jones's idea to collaborate, to have a kind of symbiotic relationship with the native and Mexican populations to work together to even proselytize or, or mission to these populations and have them be part of the church. Even though that's part of LDS doctrine, 
um, was not met with enthusiasm by some of the settlers, right? He was open to incorporating them into the church and incorporating them into their town in terms of like engaging with, with how do we survive in this area together. Not everyone agreed with this though. Some held to the racist notion that they were superior to Mexican and indigenous peoples, and those who felt that way moved to a different section of Mesa in 1877. Today, it's known as Lehi, named after the prophet in the Book of Mormon. So, meanwhile, uh, zooming out, in the national stage, the United States had just passed in 1882 uh, the Edmonds Act, which made polygamy a federal crime. And at this point, the entire church leadership were polygamous, right? They were in plural marriages. And roughly one-fourth of the entire church was also engaged in plural marriage. So by 1885, LDS President John Taylor recognized the possibility of having to find a potential area to flee. So church leadership traveled to Mexico, where Mexican President Benito Juarez had put in place religious freedoms after separating Mexico from the Catholic Church. Therefore, it felt like a pretty safe place for the LDS to flee once more. I also want to take this moment to say that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints no longer practices polygamy, though offshoots of the religion still hold this to be a crucial part. Fast forward to another wartime in Mexico, the Mexican Revolution in 1912 where LDS members and settlers were forced to leave. At that point, the revolution had tried to establish control within Mexico, um, and they really wanted Mexico for Mexicans. And so there was some of the revolutionaries pushed and uh, made many LDS uh, colonia settlers flee. Many fled to El Paso, uh, but many more fled to Arizona. All right, let's pause here for a second and recap. We've got Latter-day Saint members fleeing to the territories in 1847. That was the same year as the Mexican-American War, which introduced LDS soldiers to the territory of Arizona. They would then return to Arizona in 1878. Their goal was to create outposts in case the bulk of the church had to move again, but they also wanted to start converting indigenous and Mexican peoples. Once an LDS community was established here, historic events like La Reforma would increase the LDS population overall. All right, during this time in Arizona, the LDS community was really establishing themselves and Mesa was about to build its first temple. The Mesa Temple is one of the very first outside of Utah. If LDS members couldn't visit Utah to get married, do temple work, or leave for missions, they could come to Arizona instead. This is what helped bring more people to discover Mesa as a hub and kept families here. It also helped Mesa become a destination for Latino and indigenous members of the church to do their annual excursions because it was the first temple to offer endowments in a language besides English. So for over 100 years, we've had not just uh, white LDS members uh, in, in Arizona, but also Spanish-speaking and Latino and Native members um, as Jones's work kind of flourished and other folks missioned in the area too. For members in Utah, Pioneer Day is a celebration of their ancestors' arrival to Salt Lake City, and it's honored on July 24th. In Arizona, the pioneers here, though we don't have Pioneer Day in the same way that they do in Utah, right, there are members who are the great-great-grandchildren of these original um, settlers 
who definitely do acknowledge and recognize their family's place in the settlement of Arizona, their lineage in that way, and their pioneer history. Um, so we definitely do have folks who have a deep heritage to their existence in Arizona, given the Mormon settlements that happened here. One of those being Candace Koppel from the beginning. Her third great-grandfather was one of the families that Jones chose to travel down to Arizona because they had a lot of members but were too poor to return. I had the opportunity to, to know my great-grandfather when I was younger. His house actually still stands at the corner of Robson and 2nd Avenue. Yes, Robson and 2nd Avenue, just south of the Nile Theater and Cider Corps in downtown Mesa, named after her ancestors who settled for the LDS Church in Mesa. Well, the family through the years has spread out into the Phoenix, Mesa, Gilbert, and other parts of the valley. Uh, you know, we've remained pretty close. And I, one of my favorite childhood traditions was gathering with about 200 or so of my great-grandparents to celebrate Thanksgiving at South Mountain in Phoenix. Listen to my grandmother and her sisters tell stories of their grandparents' struggle to build the valley. So a sense of history and appreciation for what these early settlers went through was kind of ingrained in me. For many LDS descendants, their family stories are inextricably tied to the development of the valley as we know it today. My third great-grandfather that came here to the valley, his wife, Francel Pomeroy, was Mesa's first certified school teacher. And so they still, down in the community of Lehigh and Mesa, have a little adobe, one-room adobe schoolhouse that stands, and you can hear my great-grandfather's voice telling about that experience of education. And even though the state of Arizona is only 109 years old and full of people who might be experiencing it for the first time, there's a large history that some take pride in. The valley feels very personal to me and Mesa in particular. I, I was born in Mesa. That's where, of course, my family settled. But I live in Gilbert now. I have family all over. But it's funny because every time we go visit a different city, we'll, you know, we'll do a walking tour. We'll take... Yeah, we'll do some type of tour. And every time we do that, my mom's like, I want to bring one of those tours to Mesa. I want to help other people experience our history and recognize what a cool, you know, valley that we live in. So we're always talking about ideas of how we can make, you know, our own historical tour. So how did Arizona become a hub for the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints? Like Arizona becomes a hub for almost anything, the promise of opportunity and freedom. Many descendants of some of the first LDS families are names you might know, like former Senator Jeff Flake, who served for six years and whose family settled in what is now Snowflake, Arizona, and former State Representative Russell Pierce, who wrote Arizona's controversial SB 1070. For more on him, you can listen to Rediscovering SB 1070, an Arizona Republic podcast that you can hear wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for investigating that, Amanda. And a quick heads up to listeners who might be interested in exploring the Mormon history of Arizona. Non-members can go to any of the LDS temples in the valley during Christmas to look at the lights or around Easter to be part of festivities, but only members are allowed inside. Thank you for listening to Valley 101. 
If you have other questions about Phoenix in general, visit valley101podcast.azcentral.com. You can leave your tips for us there. And you can also find us on Twitter at Valley101Pod. I'm Kayla White, signing off for this week. Take care.